This is the St. Longinus' Baptism Podcast channel. This is going to be a new addition to the channel. As I stated a couple of times previously, I'm always open to take suggestions or ideas that are reasonable um, in covering topics that you would either like having covered uh, as long as they're not too too out of lines um, you know uh, that, that they, they don't variate too widely from my general um, subject matter which is uh, Catholicism true Catholicism um or questions that needed to be answered. I will put my two uh, two uh, for lack of a better term social media platforms on uh, the um show notes in case you know you you have questions or you want to you want to hear about a topic you want to hear covered uh, so this will uh I'm going to entitle this particular uh Section listener mailbag. Yes, I know it's all very old school, but I'm very old school person. And this is going to be listener mailbag number one. Now, one of my uh, loyal listeners wanted three topics covered. I was going to cover them separately. Um, and I, depending on where the Holy Ghost takes me, I might have to cover them separately, but for right now, I'm going to try to, uh, cover these all and do it a lot, a lot shorter than under an hour. So, here... Here are the topics that he he wanted to hear about. Catholicism is not about emotions nor about religious experience. Okay, so for that particular topic, we have to understand, because there's a lot of ignorance and confusion these days about what Catholicism is. A lot of people... Uh, I call them the uninitiated think that the Vatican II uh, sect, which calls itself Catholicism, and their their imposter pope, uh, Mr. Bergoglio, is the actual Catholic Church. So we have to, in order to cover this topic, we must understand that when the questioner asks about Catholicism, what he's actually asking is about um, pre-Vatican II Catholicism. And there is a difference. And that's called Sedvacantism. The pre-Vatican II Catholicism is the actual Catholicism. Uh, the the Catholic Church that the uninitiated thinks is the Catholic Church is actually a bunch of uh, heretical uh, Protestant-minded people that call themselves Catholic but have nothing in common whatsoever with the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. 
Now, some of you may think that I'm going into pedantic or autistic detail just then. Trust me, I am not. There was a there was a specific reason that I brought up that particular uh, or that I did what I did. And that is in the Vatican II sect. They emphasize religious experiences. They emphasize, uh, you know, what do you feel? What do you feel? And just to let you guys know, in, in pre-Vatican II Catholicism, feelings were not emphasized. As a matter of fact, feelings were discouraged. And the reason why this is, is because your feelings are susceptible to outside forces. You know, if... For instance, let's just say I get up one morning and I'm feeling depressed and something happens if I go to mass that day and something happens and my religious my religious uh, thoughts are led by my feelings then if I'm depressed, I could say, well, I, I'm depressed. God hates me. Um, God doesn't love me. Or you, it, What I'm trying to say here is your feelings are erroneous. And I want to add this out there. So, are, so is your intellect. Unless you, in, in pre-Vatican II, in the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, in their catechisms, they stress the importance of a well-formed conscience. And conscious conscience and uh, and and being um, and your thought processes uh, go hand in hand, because unless you are taught, the correct doctrine, unless you are you are well versed in matters of theology, spirituality, and church history, you are even if you're using your intellect and you're not allowing your feelings to mislead you, you're going to you're going to draw the wrong conclusions. That's why. Uh, I try I always stress in my episodes to Protestants and Vatican II types you uh you need to read you need to study you need to understand the you know the uh what what pre-Vatican II Catholicism is all about and that's why I stress it now, to go back to the emotion, thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping me to remember this. Basically, if I were to bottom line what the question is about, your intellect is objective. If, if it's well-formed, I want to stress this. I can't stress this enough. If your intellect is well-formed, and that means pre-Vatican II Catholicism, then your intellect is objective. It mean, meaning that if you fully understand and believe what pre-Vatican II Catholicism is all about, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. However, if you have an ill-formed uh, ill-formed conscious and intellect because of the we, we are all subject to the society and the culture that we live in 
And because that emphasizes, well, you are your own best judge. You make up your own mind. If your conscious or intellect is ill-formed, you are going to have a subjective, a subjective understanding. And subjectivism is the complete opposite is uh, opposite of true objective, objective truth. Because if you're ill-educated, if you're ignorant, but you are told, well, your opinion is as good as anybody else's, then when you're looking truth in the face, you're either going to ignore it because it doesn't fit in with your conception of what the truth is, or you're going to deny it for the same reason. Now, when it comes to Catholicism, and when I say Catholicism, I'm talking true Catholicism, pre-Vatican II Catholicism, your emotions are are very subjective, period. Uh, you could eat a bad piece of food and two hours later, it's going to affect how you feel and um, in some cases how you think. And truth, as I said earlier, is, is it's not... Uh, Objective truth is not, it's not based on feelings. What is true in uh, 1000 AD is true in 1990 or 2000. It never changes, but your feelings do change. You might, if you're single and you're young, you might meet a very uh, good looking woman You'll fall hard in love with her or what you think of love. And then, you know, if you guys start dating, you know, you might, oh, I don't know. She, she might have aspects about her that you absolutely cannot stand. And then you'll decide to break up with her. That's how your feelings are subjective. And to wrap this up, the reason why the Vatican II sect and Protestantism, for that matter, I, I want to give you a brief historical summary, as brief as I can make it. As I never get tired of saying, the Vatican II sect is just Protestantism with a Catholic facade. Meaning, the trappings, you know, uh, look Catholic, but the doctrine and the teachings and the behaviors are totally Protestant. Anyhow, so during the Protestant revolt, if you go, and by the way, I'm former Protestant, I know of what I'm speaking of. If you go back to the writings of the original rebels, such as Luther, Calvin, and Knox, and Henry VIII, they stressed that emotion did not enter into the equation. That, you know, you, you, you needed an intellectual assent to their errors. They did not teach subjective feelings or subjective truth for that. Well, actually they did. I, I don't think that they realized it at the time that what they were teaching was subjectivism. Anyhow, around the 1700s, because this is Protestantism, um, there, there were other sects that developed because... Calvinism and Lutheranism and Presbyterianism were, were cold because they lacked 
because they lacked the truth, they did not have the spirit of Jesus in those churches, people were very dissatisfied because they found these churches to be cold and uh, and also at around the 1700s, you had the whole um, I don't know how to put it, but basically around the 1700s, they were breaking away from Catholic church, truth and the fruits of the Reformation, or I'm sorry, not the Reformation, the Protestant revolt were starting to germinate. And so there was a certain segment of the population that said, hey, you know, I'm going to church, but, uh, but it feels cold. It feels too intellectual. And so they started their own sects because that's what Protestantism is. If you're dissatisfied with one sect, you go and form your own. That was based on feelings, religious experience. And I don't want to get into the whole history of Protestantism. But if you read... Um, about the Protestant sects from the 1700s, and there may have been some before them, but basically from the 1700s onward, you had a bunch of Protestant sects that emphasized, well, how do you feel? Do you feel the Holy Ghost in your heart? Um, you know, what is your religious experience? And that is your truth which, as I said, goes against traditional Catholic teaching because it's not about your emotions. Your emotions are subjective. And I would say that the culmination of this particular, uh, this particular uh, teaching was the uh, Pentecostal movement, which started around the early 1900s. And because the people that convoked Vatican II were anti-Catholic and pro-Protestant, they, they took a lot of the Protestant teachings and they injected it into um, the Vatican II uh, documents, which became their teachings. So that's that's for the first question or topic. I hope it answered your questions. I hope that it was satisfactory because if it isn't, let me know and uh, I could do a deeper dive if necessary. The second topic that this person wanted covered was the utility of secular and religious the utility of knowledge of secular and religious history. Now what this basically boils down to is there was a famous philosopher um at least amongst philosophers, I think his name was George, and I'm probably massacring the names, uh, Santana or something like that. I think he was a professor at either Yale or Harvard. And what, what he said is, is those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Now, as far as I know, and I could be completely wrong about this because history, uh, I'm sorry, philosophy is not my wheelhouse. History is. Um, the per, uh, this, this person who said that, as far as I know, was not a traditional Catholic. As far as I know, he was just a secular. But that is a truth. That cannot be denied. Unfortunately, as we get closer and closer 
to the culmination of the secularization of society and the revolt against God in his one true religion, the more, and this is by design, guys. This, this is not an accident. I told you, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't. These are not accidents of history. You know, these, what is going on in society and, uh, and culture has been planned for a very long time. But a lot of people are made purposely ignorant and they're, they're kept distracted. There's a reason for the distraction. If you're distracted with bullcrap that don't even matter, then you aren't going to have time because you're distracted by other things to actually read history and to understand which authors are basically giving you the party line and which historians are giving you more or less honest honesty. I go back to the libertarians. Now, I want to use at least one blatant example. I don't know if I've used this in my previous episodes, but um, back in the 90s, and I do realize that a lot of you were are too young to remember the 90s, but back in the 90s, let me back up just a hair. After World War I, Serbia, Kosovo, Bosnia, Macedonia, and I think one other little country after World War I, and they were part of the Austrian Empire, which sided with Germany in World War I, basically the quote-unquote allied powers who were victorious decided that no, um, these, guy, uh, these countries should not be separate, but they should be joined together. And that's exactly what happened. They formed it in what, is, what was known then as Yugoslavia. Without going into too deep in the weeds, during World War II, you had two factions in Yugoslavia. One that, oh, Yugoslavia after World War, World War I was given a king, I think, and a constitutional king. And during World War II, you had a faction that were loyal to the, to the, to the constitutional king, and you had the communists who were getting their marching orders from Moscow, who wanted to turn Yugoslavia uh, communist. Now, without getting too deep in the weeds, both Roosevelt and Churchill supported the communist leader, whose name was Tito, against the constitutional... Uh, faction who wanted to support their constitutional king. Well, anyway, Tito uh, was your was your ultimate like strongman dictator. He would brook no dissent. And as a matter of fact, when Stalin took over Eastern Europe. He tried to dictate terms to Tito. And Tito basically told Stalin, go pound sand, I'm doing what I want to do. That doesn't mean that Tito was, was, did not believe in communism. He did. He just didn't want to take orders from Moscow. And for his own personal reasons, Stalin decided to let it sit. You know, as long as they were communists, that was good enough for him. Well, after the fall 
of the communist regimes in Eastern Europe in late 1989 to the 1990s before the fall of communism in uh, Russia, all, like I said, all the Eastern communist governments fell. And shortly after the the only there were only two communist governments after 1990 in eastern europe one was in albania and the other one was in yugoslavia well after communist i i i believe that the communist government of russia fell i want to say in 91 or 92 at this point tito was still alive and like i said the man was a strong man and he, these different countries in the Frankenstein monster that was known as Yugoslavia, they had always, before they, they were forcibly put together, they had always been at each other's throats. But Tito was such a strong man that he managed to keep these different countries united under his leadership. Well, shortly after, I want to say 93 and 94, Tito died. And basically, Tito was the pot or the lid on top of a boiling pot. And once he was taken off, all the bitter animosities that had happened before... Um, Tito took over Yugoslavia, boiled over. Now, in order to understand the atrocities that commit that were committed in Yugoslavia during World War II, you have to read about World War II in depth. Well, not in depth, not in depth, but you you, you have to have a basic knowledge. Now, Serbia had been allied in World War II with the United States and uh, uh, England. They, they had been allied. And here's a little interesting fact that, as I say, Americans are horrendous with history. The Nazi... The, uh, the, the Nazi government of Germany actually formed two Waffen-SS, which is basically the fighting arm of the SS, their private army, two divisions of Bosnian Muslims who committed, like I said, these guys had been in each other's throats. Well, the Bosnian Muslims basically went through Serbia and just committed. As a matter of fact, they, their atrocities even outdid, outdid the Germans so much that the Germans themselves were appalled. And they had to pull these, they disbanded these two Muslim divisions. They would, they, even the Germans themselves, who have never been known for sentimentality or uh, niceness, you know, were appalled. Anyway, so, you know, the, the, the Serbians and the, uh, the Bosnian Muslims had been in each other's throats. Well, after Tito dies, a strong man took over in Serbia, and he basically said, well... We're going to get ours for what you did to us, you know, at that point had to have been around uh, 40 years, eh, 40, 50 years. And he started going through Bosnia-Herzegovina, just committing, well, if you, and this is where the knowledge of history comes comes forward because um, the atrocities 
Uh, by the way, the, the, the strongman of Serbia was named uh, Slobodan Milosevic. And basically the Western press painted him out to be the next Hitler. The atrocities he was committing, um, and they were atrocities, but they were nowhere what the um, Bosnians, the Bosnian Muslims had committed to Serbs back in the 40s during World War II. But, you know, um, the, the Americans who didn't know their history and even some who thought that they knew the history were all behind Bill Clinton bombing the crap out of Serbia. You know, and he said that, well, you know, they're committing atrocities. We have to, to, to save the Bosnian Muslims. And they even resettled some of these, uh, these Muslims into Western Europe and into America. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, some of these Bosnian Muslims went on to form terrorist cells within Europe and commit commit atrocities against their benefactors uh, be, for the simple fact that they weren't Muslim. So therefore, you know, they don't owe them nothing. And this is why knowledge of history is imperative. As I never get tired, secular and and church history. I'm going to get to the church history in a minute. Without the autistic story. <laughs> but this is why knowledge of history is important. As I have said in other episodes, from at least the 1700s, possibly before them, but at least since the 1700s, there has been no actual factual history. There's only been narratives dressed up as history. There's only been narratives, like the narrative that, oh, the, the innocent American colonists uh, fought against King George because he was taxing them too much. Which is garbage. Because within, I want to say, a hundred years, um, they, they were being taxed at a higher rate than King George ever thought of taxing them. And by the way, for, the, for you said of a contest, oh, King George didn't do nothing. He was a great guy. He was a Protestant and given the composition of the court, if he was not a Mason, he was sympathetic toward Masonry, and a lot of his court were actual Masons. And the American founders were also, um, not all, but a lot of them were Masons. Okay, so basically the Revolutionary War was just a dispute between two Masonic governments, as most wars are. And I, uh, I, I want to say this because I'm absolutely sure if I don't say it, I'll forget. I listen, as I've stated previously, to a ton of Set of the Contest podcast. And... Outside of one set of a contest podcaster who's a layman, I have never heard any American set of a contest call the United States government Masonic. Even though, if you read the um, the uh, Freemasonry Unmasked by Monsignor uh, George Dillon. And even, honestly speaking, he hints at it, but he doesn't do it. But if you read that book, it's quite evident that the principles of masonry are exactly the same principles that are enumerated in the first 10 amendments of the American Constitution. And all the, 
all the uh, amendments after that are Masonic. But the first 10 amendments was what we started off with. So if the first 10 amendments are absolutely Masonic, then everything that came afterward is Masonic. I have yet to hear an American Sedvacantist call our government Masonic. As a matter of fact, I've, I've, I've been given grief by Sedvacantists on Twitter, Americans, when I say our government is Masonic. And I think this is due to the fact that they overplayed one aspect of Catholic dogma over another. And the first aspect of Catholic dogma that they overplay is, well, we owe obedience to our government. But what they forget is what they forget is, yes, we owe them obedience because God has put them over us, but we don't, we don't, um, masonry as, as has been written in several, uh, encyclicals by the, by the uh, 19th century Catholic popes because anybody who's a Mason or anything to do with Masonry, you're to have nothing to do with it. And so the second part, what I'm saying in a long-winded way is, is that the, the, if your government's Masonic, they're going against God. Therefore, you don't owe them squat. Now, they're put over you for a reason, but you don't own squat. Now, am I saying we don't pay taxes? No, but we, uh, we have to pay our taxes. That's, that's, that, that is duty. Because Jesus said, render on the Caesar what is Caesar's. That is Caesar's. But we don't owe them our allegiance. And we should not be getting involved in any aspect of their, of their teachings. And I suspect that some of this may be because some set of accountants may, may uh, not understand masonry or uh, in their minds it's a conspiracy theory. And given that it's present era, does not, doesn't even bother to look into the, the history. Once again... History in the secular realm is vital because, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. What you're looking at is there, there are no, I mean, there are historical facts, but the, the historical facts are purposely hidden and obfuscated. And what is presented to most people as history is, is a narrative that the government wants you to hear. Okay? And by the way, I, I know that there are going to be some right-wingers out there. Oh, you're just a leftist. That's what all the leftists say. I am not a leftist. I've never been a leftist. No. My, 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 um, My allegiance is for, is for the truth. And before I close this particular topic out, oh, wait a minute, I got to do the church part. <laughs> before I close out the secular, the importance of secular history is, and I, I've, I've said this in previous episodes, just because of leftist, just because of Vatican II type, just because a Protestant, just because a neocon says something, because they are agents of 
falsehood does not necessarily mean that they're not capable of speaking the truth. I suspect when they do speak actual truths, it's not on purpose. Some of it may be this, you know, speaking a truth for disinformation purposes, but some of it may actually be that they're speaking truth and they don't know it. Now the history, the, the, if, if you're interested in the ultimate truth, I mean the absolute ultimate truth, church history, an understanding of that is, is your baseline. It, 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 it's got to be your baseline because without a correct history of Christianity, and when I say Christianity, I'm talking about pre-Vatican II Catholicism. Unless you have that, then you're going to be susceptible to the heresies of Vatican II, of uh, Protestantism. I, I believe uh, John Henry John Newman, the Cardinal from England, he said... To be knowledgeable in history is to no longer be Catholic. I'm sorry, no longer to be Protestant. My bad. No, that was not a Freudian slip. Um, but yeah, to no longer be Protestant is true. Because once you start reading about the history of real Catholicism, then it's going to lead you into other things. It's going to lead you into the history of the Bible, the history of doctrine, the history of theology, the history, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of like a small river that has different branches. So in, in order to see the heirs, oh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Another thing that this uh, history of true Catholicism gives you is the history of the writings of the popes and the fathers of the church. And, you know, if you don't even know what the popes wrote about, or I'm sorry, well, wrote about and wrote against, in the 1700s, the 1800s, and the early 1900s, you're 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 going to be like a blind man in in a totally dark room without a little uh, tapper to help you get around the room. You're going to be bumping into crap, and you're 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 going to be totally without a clue. So. I guess I would say that if you if you want true knowledge of history will lead you however however um, you slice it a true knowledge of history will lead you to the ultimate truth. And to, to close out this particular session or question, I would say that a true knowledge of secular history will help you to be more skeptical and to be more uh, more skeptical of the narratives and and with with just like with uh, church history, secular history also has its own branches. Because once you, and I'm, 
I am living proof of this. When I started, I just used to just stick with military history. And then as I got older, and you know, I was hearing about Nazism and communism and the lies and garbage I'd been taught. I started, you know, through God's divine will, I started looking into the politics behind it. And, and, and just so you know, all history is God's divine will. Okay? But people, like I said, have narratives that they want to confuse you and keep you obfuscated from the truth. But yes, if you're, if you're totally secular, history, if you love, well, actually, that's another thing I want to get to. Me personally, I've always loved history. I know a lot of younger people think that history is irrelevant and doesn't matter and they're not interested. If you're dedicated to the truth, and I mean the absolute truth, History is going to be your best guide because it will take you down, you know, if you're, if you're relentless, absolutely relentless in your wanting to follow the truth, it, it'll lead you to not the ultimate truth, but it'll lead you to question the narratives and the garbage you've been fed. As far as church history goes, if, once again, the, the following after the ultimate truth should be your, your absolute baseline. If you follow the history of the Catholic Church, and that includes up until Vatican II. You will under... Uh, oh, uh, knowledge of the Vatican II Council is also important. Because if you don't understand what the Council was about and what it taught, you will never be able to understand why the Vatican II Council completely contradicted the previous teachings of the true Catholic Church for 1900 years. You're not going to understand it. So. Alright, so the. Uh, the last topic. My. Uh, my. Uh, bet, uh, my loyal listener wanted me to cover was the practical implications of being in the world, but not of it. I think I've got a little under 10 minutes to get this covered. But when St. Paul says we are to be, we are to be in the world, but not of it. I'm going to try to put this as simply as I can. And once again, if I if I go into detail, it's because I try to be conscientious. The the truth, the ultimate truth deserve conscientiousness. But I think I can sum this up. And the sum summation is we have no choice in being in our society and in our culture, you know, the quote unquote world as it is known. We have no, we have no choice in that. We're born in it. And to make this as brief as I can, the people who, you know, they're, they're only their only outlook is, you know, making money at all costs, any and all costs. Fashions, sports ball, TV shows, movies. A lot of these people, 
have no interest in God and his his ultimate uh relig- his one true religion. They just they're not interested. So they basically I think one set of conscious bishop put it they're 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 basically they they've made their peace with with the things that go on in today's society and culture. And the pious and devout Catholic, and I'm talking true Catholic, pre-Vatican II, when it says to be not of the world, they're literally at war with the values and the 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 ideologies and the uh um there's a word i want to use uh the uh i can't think of the word lord please help me um The uh, priorities, thank you, Lord Jesus, priorities of the world. They are at war with these things. Because in basically to make, I'm trying to make this concept as simple as I can, and it basically is. You just need to be in the spiritual life to understand it. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to try this quote out. I believe it was from St. John of the Cross. It's very succinct. He said, reject what the world loves and embrace what the world hates. So, it, it basically goes to another pithy comment. What is popular isn't always right. And what is right isn't always popular. So, you know, I, I like to rant and rail uh, about set of accountants who are more focused on the things of here, you know, where we're at, instead of focusing on getting to heaven. And I've, I've covered that topic ad nauseum. And... To those of you who want to get a deeper, deeper dive into that topic, I have quite a few previous episodes that covers it ad nauseum because it is important. As, as Catholics, true Catholics, I should say, we are called to be saints. And as I've said, not everyone's going to be a saint, but we're to make the attempt. And a set of a contest bishop, and I'm going to quote him because when it comes to a lot of things, he's absolutely right. Although I do disagree with him on some things. Bishop Sanborn said that the true Catholic Church, not the Vatican II sect, actually has a higher moral standard than any religion, any religion, quote-unquote, that's in this world. And he's absolutely right. I used to tell people, you know, um, my Protestant relatives, you know, why'd you become Catholic? And I was in the Vatican II sect. 
I didn't even know that it diverged from actual Catholic teachings. And I used to tell them, well, I thought that Catholicism was going to be easy, but it's actually the most difficult. If you try to practice it honestly, it's the most difficult thing you're ever going to have to do. Sorry for the break, guys. Uh, there was a particular point that needed to be made on the last question. And I wanted to make sure um, that it got put in there. Unfortunately, my memory being what it is, I had to sit and think about it for a couple minutes. To sum up the practical in implications of being in the world but not of the world the first thing I would say is you cannot reach the ultimate truth without a personal relationship with God which necessitates a spiritual life because I can honestly say that there 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 at the time, I didn't realize it, but God had actually, through my life, had bestowed graces and blessings, very undeserved, and I was not even, not even worthy. Uh, and it wasn't until I tried practicing the spiritual life that I realized things started clicking, things started falling into place. So if you don't have any kind of spiritual life, and at the bare minimum, you should at least be doing prayers. I mean, at the bare minimum. But um, without that relationship, you're, you're not going to reach the ultimate truth. Uh, you need that relationship. I highly recommend. Now, to those of you who are not said of a contest or maybe said of a contest and not realize this. The, the baseline or what I would call the foundation of Catholic teaching is in the section of St. Matthew that is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now I've had I've had people, well, what's the Sermon on the Mount? If you want to read the Sermon on the Mount, it is in the book of St. Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. 5 through 7. And uh, for what it's worth, I would advise not just reading it and and putting it away, but thinking about it. And, and and not only, you know, a lot of, this is aimed more at set of a contest than anyone else. A lot of us, one of the flaws of set of a contest is, and not all, but some, is that they like to use church teaching and, and Bible quotes and quotes of the saints and the doctors as apologetics instead of looking at it on how it could be used in their own lives, how to improve themselves spiritually. And I wish I could take credit for this thought. Well, I couldn't, even if I thought I thought of it, I couldn't take credit. It would be the Lord Jesus and his blessed mother who gave me this, this thought, but it wasn't, it didn't come. Um, I actually got this, this teaching from Father Bernard Utley's uh, Spiritual Life series on uh, Norvis Ordo Watch.
But I, for what it's worth, I highly suggest reading St. Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and read it as often as you can and think about it. Because I guarantee you, and this, this applies especially to set of contests, if you read that those those two chapters, you're going to notice how what Jesus says on that sermon, how it is the foundation of pre-Vatican II Catholicism. And you can read it in the uh in the catechisms. And then the last thing I want to leave you guys with uh as far as the practical implications of being in the world but not of the world. Live the church's teachings no much I'm sorry, no matter how much it inconvenience you inconveniences you or how painful it is. And I would also add humility is a large part of this. Without humility, um and for that matter, charity. You know, a lot of people get it twisted and think that charity only belongs to God. That's why I recommended the Sermon on the Mount. Because in it, Jesus flatly says, um, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And what that basically boils down to. And he also teaches... Uh, you know, loving loving your friends and relatives, your loved ones, that, that's no credit to you because even the heathens do that, which is true, speaking from personal experience. Because and and basically the the takeaway from that thing is is that if you're completely and utterly honest with yourself, you realize what a complete and utter degenerate scumbag you were before you became a true Catholic. And if God and God loved you enough to bring you to the one true religion, then why can't you see fit to love the most unlovable person in your life? And like I said, you don't need to have beers and barbecues, but show them, you know, help them when they need it and just show them common courtesy. So I apologize. <laughs> this took a little over an hour, but according to my calculations, not too much. So to my most faithful listener, I hope that this is uh this answered your topics to your satisfaction and you you've got my contact let me know if it if it if there's something that i missed or whatever that you wanted answered and i will answer it to the rest of you i hope that you found this interesting uh me covering somebody somebody's suggestions and what I say to that. And to those of you who may be a loyal listener that I'm unaware of, my social media contacts are going to be listed in this episode's show notes. Now, if you cannot, for whatever reason, find the show notes on whatever platform you're listening to, my podcast description, I'm 90% certain, has my social media contacts where you can leave uh, questions or topics that you'd like to see covered. And for those of you who 
want to be edgy boys and whatever, you know, stuff that's utterly ridiculous or insults, I'm not going to cover. That's not what this is about. So anyway, guys, I thank you for listening. I really do. I would really like to get your input. It's up to you. And uh, I'm praying for all of you. I hope and pray that you got something out of this. And I want to say I'm praying for all of you. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.